Your cough seems like it's back and worse than before. Yeah, I've been coughing for about 20 or 30 years, it feels like, <laughs> at this point. <laughs> it kind of, as your friend, it kind of actually does seem like that. Seems medically concerning. Yeah. But every time I Google it, it's like, I've been coughing for whatever it is now, nine weeks. And Google's like, eh. If it's not 15 weeks, I don't know if you should care. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's only chronic bronchitis if you cough for like three months straight two years in a row oh my really i'm like that i don't have the patience for that i can't that's a lot of coughing yeah and they're like you can see your doctor if you're worried but they're just gonna say yeah well is it hard for you i mean is it would it be a lot for you to go see the doctor no well it would be only in that i'm busy at work right now and Mm. taking the time to go and back and then I, if I know that they're, if I'm pretty sure they're just going to be like, eh. So would it be out? Would, is it too soon and also off color to say that you are very similar to Jim Henson? Uh, did Jim Henson die from a cough that he procrastinated going to the doctor for? Basically. Uh-huh. <laughs> he, Jim Henson. He, he was a chronic uh, workaholic and he, he had some sort of like flu-like symptoms that he would have been fine if he'd gone to the doctor and then he didn't take time off to do that. And then uh, he died. Hmm. Hmm. Is uh, sort of. It says influenza like illness, which I would not describe this in any way as influenza like illness. So I'm slightly, you would be pretty worried for a good like 20, 30. I, I try to, uh, I am very officially and, and in, you know, private conversations to work against workaholic culture yeah. working more than 40 hours as a habit you know uh, scheduling projects assuming that people will work overtime i feel pretty strongly that you can get really great work in a normal amount of hours and then go home uh in almost any any job but uh the last couple of weeks have been very chaotic for a lot of perturbations in the schedule have meant that it's been very challenging me for me to get 40 or even 35 hours in in the in of work in in the week um so that's where it's been challenging it's not the the like i'm just refusing no it can't take me away from the computer i need to finish this one last thing it's more just like uh the time just flies so of course those kinds of times do come up in lives and i i I do find it completely mind-blowing though that there is still that still like i don't know if you saw that today there was like the CEO of some company I never heard of was like, I can't believe you're not working on weekends. You know, did you see that? Do you know what I'm talking about? I see things like this from time to time. I can't remember the particular one. So this one, it says, I noticed that several product owners slash team leaders are significantly below targets and still do not work on weekends to catch up. Mm. There's a simple rule in place. POs and team members with performance ratings significantly below expectations will be fired without any negotiations after the review. People and teams rated below expectations will be placed on watch list. And I'm like, why, how, why, why is this still a thing? <laughs> like, who still think, like, what is this, like, how are we still churning out these entrepreneurs or whatever who, who really believe, like, it's somehow, that the, the whole value is, like, how many hours, first of all, okay, I have so many things wrong with this. Like, first of all, why do they believe that for themselves, which is, I think, self bad for yourself and, and toxic but also why in the world do they think that any of their employees should feel that way i mean i like that i haven't i've been out of the startup game now for for you know for a while but i just remember like 
my the founders of, of whatever startup I worked at invariably could not understand why the company did not matter as much to me as it did to them. And it's like, do you re- do you really not get this? Like, you own this. If this works, you will be very, very rich. I own an extremely small part of this. If this works, I will have a little bit more money than I have now. Yeah, there's a few angles of that. Like, I find that fascinating, too, as a manager that very much doesn't think that way. Um, but there's a few angles to it. One that I, One that I see is that teams where because uh, most people will find that like they'll see through that bs right like okay obviously i sh- shouldn't be working 70 hour weeks for a normal amount of pay and obviously this isn't a family that i need to do anything in order to you know make it succeed despite the manager's inability to make schedules or plan work or prioritize right but especially when you look look at people who are younger uh, in the first five years of their career, first 10 years of their career, there are certain people who find that exciting initially until they've seen the full consequences of it. And that type of person, you can kind of strip mine for productivity for a while. And it's not proportional. Like they work double as much. They don't get twice as much productivity. You get a little bit more out of them as you consume their soul. (laughs) <laughs> um this is destructive it's a it's a lossy process yeah but you can find people who do that and so often people who either have seen that and therefore want to try to replicate that or they were they grew up in a project environment or a team environment where a previous manager had seen that and then pushed them through that unnecessary sacrifice um then will get into this mental model of uh, we're not going to succeed unless we find those people, you know, and knowing that maybe most people out there in the world don't engage that way, but then they will hear, for example, they'll read a book on hiring that will say only hire a players, only hire the best. And they interpret that to mean only hire people who have yet to figure out what work-life balance means and the diminishing returns of working your 60th hour in a week and things like that. Yeah. It's just, you know, the, the, like uh, very few of the best engineers I've ever worked with worked aggressive hours regularly. I would say that they uh, were efficient and worked extra hours when situations required it, uh, which were rare, right? Like yeah, in emer- in actual emergencies, basically. There's a big difference in between dogmatically refusing to work a 41st hour because you consider it immoral and stealing right like i'm out i yeah and some people do take that mentality and if you work for a company where you don't feel like you're being well compensated enough for to ever consider working that 41st hour then sure that's you know well that's your choice but i think there's a big difference in between knowing hey that this is uh exceptional this is an emergency this is a mistake i personally made then uh, trying to do what you can in reasonable amounts to address that by extra time um, versus a culture where the time putting in the overtime itself is seen as the goal or inherently as virtuous, right? As opposed to a culture where putting in the overtime is seen as a problem because it's like, hey, we made a mistake that necessitated this overtime. You appreciate the person for having fixed the problem using overtime, but in the same way that, like, in, in, in you know, in combat, 
if somebody is bloodied, you consider that bad. If somebody is willing to take some injury to save their squad, you you would laud them for that. But you wouldn't be like, well, what? hey, only half of us are bloodied. <laughs> we need to try harder next time. We need to get more injured. Get more people bloodied. Yeah. Right. And that's what that's what it's like. It is interesting. You know, um, a lot of uh tech companies specifically will tell you or have told me oh you know we don't really care about hours it's just about impact like as long as you're getting the work done that you need to get done or that is commensurate to the expectations for you then you know live your life right um and it 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 was never really that true in practice like it wasn't like I mean there was a minute there's there there's a minimum barrier where like I've it's like either get this much work done or be here this many hours but also like um, even if you were getting all your work done if you like your hours were really off from uh, enough off from other people's hours it's like you get some side eye or whatever and the fascinating thing about my current job one of the one of the fascinating things about my current job is that um, they really don't care and it plays out in in unexpected ways like it's not all positive. Like, because on the one hand, nobody cares what time you get there. But on the other hand, um, the first time that I did have to work late a couple nights in a row to get something done because of circumstances or whatever, nobody cared about that either. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So it wasn't usually it's like, oh, you come in the next day, you worked really late. People are like, oh, man, that's crazy. You were here last night. That's wow. That's wild. Like, you know, thanks. Good job or whatever, whatever. Like, I please don't do that that often. But, you know, that's great. But at my job, they're just like nobody cares they don't even notice it's like right it's just like not looked at in either way and that's that's obvious that to me that feels more honest but it is uh i hadn't you know like with many things i i thought of the positive benefit of like oh this is going to be so great like i can actually just live my life and if i need to shuffle things around in various ways i can and it won't be a problem but it's like oh but also no one no one cares if you do something um time-wise heroic yeah so your work-life balance is you have the the power to uh, maintain it, but it is your responsibility and no one else's. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, that only works because you also have to be the one planning your own deadlines. Yes. Otherwise, that's just not possible. But um, but we have that. So it's like, yeah, it's on you. Like your work-life balance will be whatever you want to make it. And the consequences of that will be whatever they are. Yeah. that's Deadlines and estimates are, and the difficulty of them is one of the big problems with why part of why software ends up getting so such a bad situation on some teams for overtime and things like right. that. Which is why we try as much as possible to not have deadlines. Yeah. I mean yeah. ship things when they're good and but yeah. but I mean it's just it's also hard to measure it's hard like it's like, oh measure reward people for impact, but it's hard to measure impact. It's a lot easier to measure you made a deadline and then you hit the deadline. <laughs> it's a lot easier <laughs> to measure did he work forty hours a week or fifty hours a week. Like that's way easier to measure than that things that matter. It turns out that doing the right thing is often not the easy thing. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately. That's a, that's a little tricky. We have some follow up. We, I, yeah, everything at some, isn't that like a famous John Syracuse idea that at some point everything is follow up? I think the way he phrases it is on an infinite timeline. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's how he prefers it to but be. Yeah, of, of course. Referred to. So in our last episode, you talked about how much money you saved on gas because Tesla continues to be in hot water, or at least people complain about their their calculator where they say, oh, well, you know, how much does a Tesla cost? 
well, it costs this amount asterisk, and there isn't even an asterisk. It's just it costs this amount. But then if you like click the little drop down, it's like minus seven thousand dollars in gas. Right. Um, and you said that you spent. 75% of that a month or something like you kind of off the top of your head, you did some very ambitious gas math, um, that, uh, that would have made you a single handed global warming behemoth <laughs> that turned out to be still large, but still uh, not quite as bad as you'd. Yeah, it was, I think I said $400 a week and I meant a month, which is right. a, a big difference, but it's still in the six years. It's still like a 30 almost thirty thousand dollars and uh four hundred dollars a week is or four hundred dollars a month is still a lot um the main thing is that now i'm spending like a fourth of that for two cars yes yes and you're not like destroying the planet and i'm differently destroying the planet well if you are it's like the california public utility commission's fault and not yours right exactly um yeah so then if you're spending you know even at four hundred dollars a month you're spending way more, you were spending way more in gas than Tesla's calculator. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, so I'm the rare case where the it was not completely disingenuous for them to say that. But it is still ridiculous. I mean, they just announced uh, that they finally hit their magical price targets, finally. And even then, they're not exactly, te- it's, it's all very, very complicated. Not I, exactly. It's like, we finally, after years, we said we were going to have a $35,000 Model 3. We finally have it. And then they make a big thing about, oh, yeah, we have a $35,000 Model 3. And you click on it, and it's like, no, it's actually $6,600 more than that. It just No, 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 no. They, they're claiming that it's a $24,000 car. Oh, really? And yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you go in there, it'll say that you can buy a car for $24,450. Okay, that's, that's less disingenuous, but still stupid. Yeah, and if you choose no options on that, and I mean, like, not even autopilot, then it will cost $35,000. So, like, you know, but I, but you do what you will get uh, some government rebates and things like that. So some of it is not completely ridiculous, but it is not exactly great <laughs> yeah. I, how can i qualify that in as many ways as possible but so you know i i think it's it's a little bit did you see that they're getting rid of all their stores yeah so tesla was kind of famous slash infamous mostly famous for not doing the traditional car dealership thing and just having a store where you can go in and you can buy it from the company it was wonderful and order it from the company instead of there being a lot and there's a bunch of cars and then you know oh slaps back of car we can fit so many (laughs) whatever milliamp hours into this baby and the the whole the whole dealer network thing uh has it causes a lot of angst and and negativity towards the various other car companies so, so they tried to avoid that it's literally illegal in some states it's illegal to not have dealerships in some states. Yeah, um, so they so can't they just, sell them. And, and yeah. Like, eh, eh, whatever. Sucks to be you, Vermont. Um, <laughs> and that seemed good, and that seemed to be like one of the things people liked about Tesla. But one of the other things about Tesla is that they just, and by they I mean Elon Musk, they seem to really enjoy just being on the verge of bankruptcy at all times. <laughs> it's like surfing the bankruptcy wave. If you can just like catch that edge, then he doesn't need to raise more capital. I don't know why he likes. Oh, it. they've raised a lot of capital, and their debt debt rating is not great. What I find fascinating is less the elimination of the stores and buying cars with online, which is which is interesting. But it's that you can buy the car because now that you, there's no way to do a test drive, right? So you can buy the car and return it within a week, I think, or a thousand miles 
with no questions asked, presuming mm. I, I assume that you don't destroy it. Yeah. And Elon Musk was literally talking on Twitter or whatever that like you could buy a Tesla, drive it around for the weekend and return it on Monday. And like that would be fine. And like that's interesting. Yeah. I'm imagining it's a lot of hassle. <laughs> like you probably would be better off just renting one. Well, especially with some of the things I've heard about Tesla um, service network being overwhelmed with all the new demand from the Model 3s. So I would not want to try to return one. Yeah, what are the chances that they just forget to give you your money back for a really, really long time? Like happened to yeah. a friend yeah. of ours. It's surprising <laughs> that a company that's really short on money would be hard to get money back out of. I'm sure that's a coincidence. I'm not accusing them of fraud. Yeah, I think you, I think you are. Just of maliciously. <laughs> I think you're more or less you are. Taking money that's not theirs and hold, holding on to it. Yeah. Um, next up on follow-up. <laughs> We have the FTC. So we have a tendency to go on asides. We will prepare our facts and then know, remember that we should explain our facts, but then go on some aside about something that has nothing to do with the, the plan and then uh, not explain any of it. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, so we talked about Facebook. This is in the context of our conversation about Facebook last time, I think. Yeah. And we talked about a, uh, uh, something that had happened, but never explained what, the what it was. was. And so I was asking you about the FTC, yeah. which stands for Federal Trade Commission, which is an American organization that ostensibly protects consumers. Um, and, but we didn't actually say that or what FTC stood for or that it was American or that it is a part of the government. or Right. Or what the scandal was that Facebook was even in trouble for. <laughs> I think we eventually got into, well, we got into what the old scandal was, which was originally yeah. claiming they would protect your privacy and then not. And then not. Um, and honestly, I feel like I can't even keep up with what the new scandals are. Like, it seems like it's just... I don't even remember now which scandal it was. It's like a scandal it's hydra like a that you're like ago. cutting off heads and it's like spreading out new ones. Yeah. And each one is like from a different animal. Is it the hydra? Each head is a different animal. Uh, is it? I thought it was just like... But the, for the Facebook, Facebook one, it is. Oh yeah, for sure. But like that's the thing. Like I that's the craziest part is that there was a specific sort of Facebook scandal a week ago and now I don't even remember which one that was. Yeah, cuz the so. one today was that if you install <laughs> a uh, I'm expecting to have a baby app that within a few hours the Facebook properties are showing you baby ads like ads for uh for oh you're pregnant even though you have no agreements like oh you turn off all your privacy settings on Facebook off. This app isn't a Facebook app. Yeah. 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 Same thing with the period tracking app, all this stuff. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's truly, it's ridiculous. Yeah. So you, you and I should install those apps in order to just pollute their data. Yeah, we, we definitely should. And also we will try to do a better job moving forward of explaining what the heck we're talking about when and if we know. And when we don't hit up at fun fact FM on Twitter or uh, fun fact FM on the web and uh, send us an angry, angry message. Let us know. Please. If you want, if you, if, if you feel the passion, if you love the show, maybe, you know, leave us a review or some ratings on iTunes or wherever. Yeah. Ratings, reviews on iTunes, or if you use overcast or another star podcast, us. yeah, it's, you know, star, um, that helps, uh, other people find the show, which, uh, helps the show. Thank you. We have some catamount follow up. Last episode, we talked about, catamounts and cougars and florida panthers and uh various other uh 
large Coovers. cats. Coovers. <laughs> yeah. David wrote in. Actually, we've got a couple notes about these types of stories. Um, but the first one was from David, who wrote in to send us a uh, link to a recent uh, cougar attack or mountain lion attack, as this Colorado news article explains from only a few days ago, uh, that if you are attacked by a cougar, you should indeed fight back. Um, And this was a fairly stereotypical example because it was a younger uh, cougar that had yet to kind of figure out how to hunt and had yet to kind of figure out what is and isn't food. Um, And so it went after this guy who was hiking in and kind of actually on a run in the backcountry in Colorado. Um, And he had to kind of subdue it with his bare hands, which is you know very impressive impressive but unpleasant um and uh yeah so uh in the unlikely event that cougar goes after you put those paws up cool we have some follow-up from rx mom yeah we have yeah there's two pieces of follow-up from my mom hi rx mom (laughs) hi hi, my mom Uh, uh thanks for listening um so she uh we were talking about um language stuff last time and as i mentioned she is a linguist and she heard me uh mispronounce the name of the language exosa which i'm not still not pronouncing correctly because i can't do the click on the x shameful but i said exosha which is wrong um and i wanted to also use this as i don't know if you saw the story about uh, trevor noah at the oscars did you see that i did not so um trevor noah is a south african comedian uh, who is a native speaker of the language Xosa. Oh, cool. And also, that's the language that was used in Black Panther right. when they are speaking their language. And he was presenting about Black Panther at the Oscars, and uh, <laughs> and uh, and he said, you know, growing up in Wakanda, it was always nice to see King T'Challa flying by. And then um, that it, it was he was reminded of a famous Xosa phrase, and then he said something in Xosa and said that it meant uh, something like, uh, when we fight together, we're stronger than we fight apart or something like that. Uh, but in fact, what he actually said in Exosa was, uh, white people don't know I'm lying right now, <laughs> <laughs> which, <laughs> which blew up on, uh, African Twitter. Sure. I'm sure African <laughs> and, Twitter was right into that. And where they were super enjoying that. And I just thought that that's amazing to do, to do something like that in front of millions of people. It It's hilarious. And, uh, and it's one of the many, many reasons why it's very cool to speak languages that not everyone around you, uh, can speak. That's awesome. Um, secondarily from my mom, she also wanted to point out that we talked about how, uh, English has a uh, voiced and voiceless consonants, but there are actually a lot of languages in the world that have voiceless vowels as well. Um, including uh, Japanese and uh, various uh, Native American languages and some others as well. So, uh, yeah, there are just, uh, just infinitely fun things to do with, uh, with language. How would, that, uh, how, how would that even work? Like, I get my... I'm obviously... I'm an extremely uh, <laughs> novice linguist, having read the, this one article about voiceless consonants, <laughs> but I understood that... For sounds like shh, you're, where you're you're not actually making any sort of bassy vocal cord, you know, sound right. I can understand. But how do you make a sound without your vocal cords that is a vowel? Like, how do I make an ah, uh, but with with no ah? Uh? Well, so I'm not an expert, but uh, it's a little bit apparently. According to this article I pulled up, it's apparently similar to English words like peculiar, which you might not really hear the vowel sound in, or potato. It kind of can go just straight from the P to the T. Potato. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Peculiar potato. Yeah. It is just kind of. And, yeah. I don't know, transient. but it's it, transient. But it is there. 
uh, and it does have a slightly different sound. Um, and it's specifically in Japanese, uh, you can notice that like if it was spelled differently, it, well, in, in Japanese, there is no way to even have that sound exactly. So it has to be kind of there, but kind of not. So it's like all these kind of middle sounds. And it, it's actually um, uh, in a lot of cases, it, it's not really anything to do with voice or voiceless, but those kind of like mixed sounds that are not present in your language, but are present in someone else's language can oftentimes make you not understand what, what they're saying and can cause things to be like hilariously misspelled and things like that. And that's why I would have a really bad Korean accent because there's parts of their language, even right in their script, that I can't even really tell the difference in between. Right. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Finnish is another one with like just the most complicated stuff. I'll keep an eye out for that if I ever it's cool. consider learning Korean. Maybe, uh, maybe not. Oh, I think you do it. I think that's the uh, reason to do it. Get... Well, maybe you could. Maybe I would be able to learn the. Yeah, broad it's not your... like my my old ears and brain are broken and incapable of ever hearing those differences. No, yeah, I think you just have to train, and it's just about getting more subtle understanding of things. I think it's cool. So, last episode we talked about no two episodes ago, a while back we talked about <laughs> finding studs and we got a video of uh lyle troxel friend of the show uh actually using a magnet to do this and it's now up on youtube so we can put that in the show notes it's a really cool method and uh and i encourage everyone to go check that out all right fact time uh, fact time fact time with Ark and allen have you <laughs> heard of by the way oh, by the way, before you, sorry, sorry to pause you there, but if anyone wants to make a theme song like that for us, please do. Yeah, that's, that's going to go super well. I'd love to hear we're, it. We're, uh, <laughs> we'll definitely <laughs> listen to it and we will consider <laughs> spreading <laughs> those creations to the, yeah. the broader world. That's well said. Uh, are you familiar with, I think probably a lot of people are because they get advertised on, on podcasts and stuff, Blue Apron. I, I am familiar with Blue Apron in the terms of, of the fact that I have used things that are not Blue Apron but are similar to Blue Apron. Right. And so these are the companies that do um, they do meal prep kits, basically. And so there's some ingredients, and then uh, you can order it delivered to you as a subscription. And it's like really growing business. There's a lot of VC, a lot of ads um, going into this. Um, but fun fact that I did not know, uh, Blue Apron and its competitors are all totally unprofitable and may never be. Yeah. I think that there is a fascinating conversation to be had about the sort of world we currently live in where a lot of the products and services we've become very used to uh, are, in fact, completely unsustainable and being propped up by um, rich people who are hoping that eventually some sort of magical corner will be turned. So the the base... Blue Apron plan, which is for two people, three recipes a week that just kind of defaults to, is $60 a week. Which is not cheap. Uh, it's not cheap, uh, U.S. dollars. Um, and that includes uh, shipping, though, which is part of the problem. Um, but, uh, yeah, apparently they're just uh, straight up losing money on that. And uh, the funny thing is that when you talk to people about these services, often they're, they don't talk about... Oh, how about how expensive? I mean, they do talk it's expensive, but they're often like, oh, I can't understand why they don't, or like these, some of these ingredients they give you are so cheap. They give you all these potatoes. Like, why isn't there more meat? Like they'll, if you, if you ask them like, what are some things that Blue Apron should do? They will tell you things that would make them lose even more money <laughs> when this company is like, 
basically hurtling toward a capital crunch and just stopping existing. So do you have any sense of what it would have to cost? So you said it cost $60 a week unprofitably. Because I know the, the the one I had always heard was that if Uber were actually like basically like I think 60 percent of your of people's Uber rides are being subsidized by venture capital. Sure. And so the actual cost would be three times as much. Right. And then the volume would go way down and the whole business would. Yeah. So so there's a couple categories of these companies that have become a big part of our culture and that a lot of people in, you know, in middle class or upper, upper middle class families are taking advantage of these services that they think of now as just part of the modern world that are actually just unprofitable experiments that have a pretty good chance of going away. The extreme one was the one where it's just like, Hey, get this subscription and you get free infinite movie tickets. Yeah. Oh, what's the business model? We just lose money. <laughs> we just lose money until we figure out what to do next. And then they didn't, and then it went away. And then they, they didn't. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the famous one to me, uh, which I don't think you got to enjoy because I don't think it was anywhere near you, but do you do you remember a service called Cosmo.com? Is that just one of the variations of like that did just deliver stuff that you asked for? Yeah. So they were the kind of originators of that thing, I think, right. as far as I know. Uh, so back in like the like late '90s, I guess early early 2000s, like maybe 2000, uh, there was this service that they would basically they had everything that Amazon had at the time, which was like movies and books and music and some food and some stuff like that, and they would uh, deliver it to you for lower prices than Amazon within an hour by like <laughs> by like bike messenger right so you see that and you're like amazon's really screwing up here the uh, cosmo is going to eat their lunch as a customer you would feel like well that. i used the hell out of yeah. uh, out of it that that the summer that it was around and i mean i would i would have them coming back multiple times a day because i'd be like oh i bought a cd oh but i kind of also want this other thing uh, i and want another would... four cookies says the guy again yeah, someone would literally bike to me with the thing, and it was just like this is incredible. And then, of course, they got a bunch of market share, or they got a bunch of users. The graph, and of, they were of like, "Look at how much stuff people are ordering." They're just ordering yeah. more and more stuff. So then they tried to raise the prices to actually be reasonable, and everyone stopped using it, and they went away like in a month. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so it looks like Blue Apron is. It's unclear for sure. Obviously, you never really know. Say, what Groupon was one of these like um, where something becomes I guess a lot of public market share is usage revenue gets pretty high but it's unclear whether or not it's going to stick around or be meaning have be a meaningful business in five or ten years um, but it looks like the current sentiment in the punditry world and market analyst world is that these companies Blue Apron, HelloFresh, Fresh Prep um, probably are going to at least um, partially die off and or have to change their business model quite a bit because a lot of their um, the model that they have right now is based on spending a lot of money to get people to subscribe and then having them subscribe for a really long period. Um, but they, a lot of people are using it to learn how to cook and, and like taking the deal where it's like, like for example, on, I had the blue apron website up here in order to check that price. And now it's like, I was like, Oh, that's expensive. It's $50. But <laughs> since it's been open for a few minutes, a, a pop-up has come up that says, hold on, take $30 off your order. <laughs> and I have two options, uh, get $30 off or reject $30 off. It's like, oh, reject, I don't want to reject $30. Reject yeah. $30. <laughs> and so they'll let you take $30 off, order the two things, and then you get them for like half price or whatever, and then cancel over and over again. 
or whatever. And so people are mostly kind of doing that. And like a lot of people, like I say, are learning to cook and then canceling it. Um, so their, their customer acquisition cost is not working, um, apparently. So they, they're scaling back. They've had a decrease of 24% uh, in total number of customers. Yes. Like, that seems like a problem. Yeah, 24% revenue down, customers down. Uh, they're, they're still losing 18%. Uh, so like, you know, when some companies are, you know, oh, 18% profits, meaning like they made a dollar 18 for every dollar they spent. So like Blue Apron lost $18 for every hundred dollars or, you know, what I mean, it lost 18, 18 cents 18 for, cents every, for dollar every dollar. Um, so it's like a, a way of turning, uh, you know, a dollar 18 into a dollar that they, that well, you know what they say, Alan, they'll make it up in volume. No, the best way to make a dollar is to start with a dollar eighteen. Yes, exactly. This is the famous saying. <laughs> Copyright Blue Apron twenty nineteen. Yeah, um, and that's not to say just because a company is unprofitable that they will therefore not be. Like Amazon was unprofitable for a fair while, and a lot of companies a really long yeah, time, and, and, yeah. or at least like it's also very break even for a long time. And like Google was obviously yeah. unprofitable for a while, and like they've done they've done okay. Um, and so we have some of these these models that make us or at least our investor community not super worried about a company that's losing money um but the fact that blue apron now now is kind of backing off and now feeling oh actually maybe we're going to shrink a bit and and try to find you know they're trying putting some of these meal kits in stores like uh, you go to the grocery store and you pick up the meal kit so then the delivery um thing is not as much of a problem for them and then the other thing they're trying is to have kits that only have uh then the the peripheral stuff so it has like all the spices and sauces and and stuff like that but it doesn't have the main meat um which helps with the freshness side so they're trying other things but uh it's not looking not looking great for them the yeah i mean Montreal just went out of business a lot of this stuff is is going poorly i would um this is not a, a wonderful business podcast exponent um but i will say that i think that blue apron doesn't have much of a moat yes it's very easy to compete with them yeah, and you it's you can spin up your own thing very very easily. I think the thing with Amazon was that the that while, while they were very open about how they weren't really concerned with profit and the reason that the investor community went with them on that journey was cuz it was kind of obvious where the what the long-term story might be. And I think that uh with these blue ribbons and stuff there's just no there's no real path to profitability that anyone can feels comfortable with, I think. Right, which is interesting to me then when I found that even though these these meal prep delivery companies are looking like in, in pretty bad shape, the meal delivery, like made, pre-made meal delivery ones, like Grubhub, DoorDash, uh, the ones that actually is seamless, the ones that actually... Caviar. Yeah, the ones that bring you uh food from restaurants uh apparently they're actually doing pretty well like their grubhub is supposedly like definitely profitable and the bigger competitors of theirs are apparently like they're not profitable yet but they're definitely trending towards it like they'll be like quote unquote unit profitable but they're not necessarily Mm. profitable given the amount of money they're spending on growth and things like that um so Mm. out of these various like seems like i would have said that was probably the least sustainable of all of them the one where you have people going around doing the, the food deliveries uh, and comping orders all the time because they got them wrong and like but uh i don't know man if my family is any indication they might be profitable just on our house so <laughs> a lot of grubhub <laughs> uh not a lot of grubhub but a lot of caviar 
I would have a hard time using an app that was called caviar just due to this sheer, like, like, it's not just like, I feel bad for the luxury of using DoorDash, but like, it's straight up called caviar. Like, you do not need this service. This service is just expensive and luxurious. It was just the least, I don't know, they had like the best food, I guess. Yeah. It was the least achy one. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Apparently DoorDash I, I mean, I see your point. is smaller than GrabHub, but they've been, apparently their numbers have been improving faster than some of their competitors because they they target more getting the restaurants happy rather than just saying like okay well our our the people claim they want a and w burgers or whatever even though they'll be disgusting by the time they get to your door so i guess we'll just give them that um whereas doordash is more apparently uh more focused on on the restaurants that make sense and and uh helping the restaurants survive and things like that so yeah i mean grubhub felt like a very it, it was like the late night type restaurants. It was like a lot of pizza places, you know, Sure, it didn't, that's eventually why I stopped using it. But I kind of like, I want to stop using all of them just cause it means that I've gone from eating out, you know, not that frequently to eating out like a lot and it's probably not very healthy. Yeah. Well, unfortunately a lot of the food that lasts like pizza is great for delivery food because pizza that's like 20 minutes old, but been kept warm because it's in a bag. It tastes basically the same as peanut pizza from 20 minutes ago. Whereas like, you know, French fries from 20 minutes ago, eh, yeah, 30 minutes ago, and no. Yeah, it, it, the quality decreases quickly. Yeah, so that, that's my, that's my, uh, that's my kind of little area of fascination right now. VC, <laughs> right on. VCs, well, just sort of splash around money, seeing, seeing what's going to stick. I think we're all excited to, uh, to, to follow along with your journey as you, uh, as you learn how the world works. I feel a little bad with the my usage of DoorDash because we found this one good sushi place and we used to with DoorDash try different stuff and now we basically always just get the same place. And then it, why is that bad? Well, just because a lot of the value that DoorDash like part of the reason they're able to extract money from the sushi place and money from us and like be this middle interchange is the discovery side. Oh, right. And like if that sushi place just had a their own delivery person that was part of the restaurant and then they could keep more of the profits, then we would just use that. But like DoorDash oh. is kind of now like kind of taxing this relationship, which they created because I didn't even know the sushi. There's hundreds of sushi places in Vancouver. So I probably would have never found this particular one because it's a little out of the way. Mm. But now mm. it's like trying any other one. It's like, well, but, but this one is so good and they are always reliable and they always get the order right. Um I know it's a little strange. I think you're okay. They're good though. Ruling from me. I think it's okay for you to order from the same place. I do that a lot. I'll tend to go through phases with a place. Like I'll order a lot from the same place and then find someplace else. Yeah. I'm one of the people who at least tries to like, I know that variety on average is better like, of course, the comfort of, okay, where should we go for vacation? Like, well, we last three years we went to Portland, so let's go to Portland again. Um, like, you just sort of, there's something nice about going to doing the thing that you already know. Um, but life is short and there's so much, you know, if you can get over the hump of committing to doing a new thing, and which sometimes will be worse, which is why there's a hump that prevents you from doing that. Um, but I, I try to keep myself in shape mentally of like, trying to not just do something especially something so low stakes as like try a new sushi place like, <laughs> it is a good thing to try a new sushi maybe we should try greek this time yeah there you go i think you should and and then report back on how it was yeah we will i will i'll keep you all updated on our attempts to not just have the same place also it does help that elliot loves 
this sushi from this place now she'll get uh, uh there's like a oh, mango wow. avocado roll sure yeah so she's like freaking sushi's here sushi's here <laughs> my niece loves salmon so that's a thing yeah uh i'm gonna take this in a pretty different direction you don't have a sushi related fact i don't not i mean not that i'm going to tell you right now i probably have many sushi related facts but not not what i'm not where i'm going right now uh so uh fun fact uh, the Titanic had a nearly identical twin ship who lived happily ever after. Really? Yeah. It was just fine. Did, did like people want to go on it anymore after? They did. Yeah. So, uh, so the Olympic, uh, was almost identical in every way to the Titanic. In fact, apparently sometimes when you see photos that are supposedly on the Titanic mm. online, they'll actually be from the Olympic because the Titanic was obviously not around very long. Um, the Olympic, the construction on the Olympic started about three months before the Titanic and finished first and, um, had started operating about a year before the Titanic started, uh, and, um, successfully completed its voyages and had done basically a year of, of service at the time that the Titanic launch happened. Uh, when the Titanic disaster occurred, the Olympic was about 500 miles away. And actually attempted to come to the rescue. They got the distress signal. Wow. But when they got about 100 miles away, the captain of the Carpathia, which was the ship that had made it first, uh, told them to stay away. Because they were apparently worried that it would be traumatizing to the small number of survivors if they saw an almost identical (laughs) ship show up. Hey, want to get on this (laughs) ship? (laughs) Yeah, like, uh, no, thank you. But but they then, after after the incident... They used the Olympic as a test ship to try to figure out how what had happened to the Titanic. Hmm. So they would like do things like test how quickly it could turn if it spotted something like an iceberg or like right. what the ratio of the, these things are or why the bulkheads overflowed and things like that. But of course, um, the Olympic also didn't carry enough lifeboats, just like the Titanic. Um, and so after the accident, the ship was initially equipped with second-hand collapsible lifeboats apparently which um which triggered a mutiny so so the ship had a mutiny uh and a general strike because the sailors didn't believe the new lifeboats would be seaworthy and when they actually tested them one of them wasn't but uh they were eventually the ship was eventually retrofitted to like fix the you know issues that they had found with the titanic that caused it to sink and also bring the number of lifeboats up to the proper amount and what i thought was crazy about that was that it went from having 20 to having 68 it's pretty big. That's a pretty big jump. It's almost like decorative lifeboats. Then, when you're at less than a third, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like like that is a comical difference. I mean, you know, sad and comical difference. Um, the the ship uh, kept going. Uh, so it was like it was built in I think 1911, but by uh, World War One, it was being used as a troop transport. They repainted it gray and and did that kind of stuff and it, it apparently it during the during world war one it carried like two hundred thousand troops and traveled about one hundred and eighty four thousand miles huh it, in fact it was so useful it got the nickname old reliable and the captain was knighted wow. so that's pretty cool um and then when the war ended it went back to being a commercial liner and was very popular with celebrities like um Charlie Chaplin, Mary Pickford, Prince Edward of Wales, Cary Grant. Was it popular because it's like, hey, it's the Titanic and this is famous. So so kind of, yeah. So it was used as a selling point. And some passengers would go on as a way to vicariously experience what had happened. Huh. 
And would they like get a little close to an iceberg? Like, oh, there's an iceberg. There's an What's iceberg. What's gonna I happen? Don't, uh, probably. I think they, you know, they would they would like recreate the 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 splendor and and sadness of the trip, which is like a really weird. Like, let's go relive the Titanic. Like, that's a it's a weird thing to do. I think. And uh, it made it. The ship made it all the way to 1937 after mm. the Great Depression happened, and there wasn't really any more rich people traveling in giant ships. Sure. And uh, and it was. Um, decommissioned and and uh and it was used as like a make work project to like take it apart um to help with uh with the depression but apparently at the time that it was taken apart uh there was some pushback because it was still in completely fine working order and uh and could have continued i'm sure there's a lot of that uh in that area in the 30s of just like well it's not really worth keeping this it's fine but yeah, yeah, probably. Just for the... They were trying to create jobs, basically. But I just find it completely crazy that we've never... I mean, I could not have heard more about the Titanic, right? And, like, never heard about this one. There was actually a third one uh, there that was built a couple years later. I think it was called the Britannic. And it was... Uh, it, it, so, basically, this company, White Star Line, built these three ships. The class was Olympic, and the first one was the Olympic. The third one was called uh, the Britannic. And it launched just before the um, First World War and had and had a lot of changes made sort of from the beginning to uh, to, to counteract the um, uh, what had happened with the with the Titanic. Uh, but uh, she it, she actually exploded. <laughs> it oh, was a, great. Yeah, there was a naval mine in 1916. So during the war and um, uh, almost everyone was saved. Uh, I think like, uh, but it was the largest ship lost in the first world war. And, um, uh, after the war, they, the, uh, SS Bismarck, which was a, uh, Hamburg line ship was given to the British as compensation after the war. Huh? Yeah. I feel like there's something kind of like, I can see why not a lot of people who are really into Titanic mythology and, and the, the fascination and the uniqueness of it would spend a lot of time and like, oh yeah, and actually it wasn't unique. There was another ship that was just like that and it was fine and everything was normal about it, <laughs> right? So you think it's like, it detracts from the legend. Yeah, it's like when you like realize if you, like I don't follow Star Trek very closely, but like watched like a little bit, of, actually, especially when I was a kid, my dad would watch Star Trek. And when you, you have like the Enterprise, it's like this really special ship that like is awesome and all awesome things happen. And then you come across in the lore that like, Oh, actually, there's also just a bunch of other ships that are identical and just nothing interesting <laughs> happened to them. It's like, oh, the USS Yamato is the same and it's just just as awesome, but nothing. It's just whatever. I don't know. It got blown up or something. Well, those people can live with the knowledge that while the Titanic and the Olympic were identical dimensions, uh, there were some slight modifications made when they built the Titanic in terms of the interior arrangement. And so the Titanic technically had the title for biggest uh volume for a uh, uh a ship higher gross tonnage sure because it right. had a different interior configuration yeah it's made a just so it's like slightly unique slightly unique yeah yeah yeah, yeah. sorry everybody but yeah it's crazy and like it yeah i don't know which i wish it was still around there was plans at one point to turn it into like a you know one of those floating hotels if they had done that then when the james cameron thing came oh around they would have made so much yeah, money i know Unfortunately, they they didn't have a, a vision into sixty years in the future or whatever. Yeah, it's a long time to keep a floating <laughs> giant <laughs> rust. When, when they retired the Olympic, it had gone two hundred forty two hundred fifty seven times around the Atlantic, 
transported 430,000 passengers on only commercial voyages. So that's in addition to the 200,000 troops and traveled more than 1.8 million miles. Huh. Uh, so it just need uh, Titanic just needed a couple tweaks. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's just a beta test. I have a fun fact for you. Again, totally different, totally different gear change. It does not involve large uh, <laughs> ocean-going vessels. <laughs> okay, well. Okay. But I think it's an important service announcement to the world for any of you that use Twitter or are still on it. I am, for some reason, in both of those camps. Um, you can and should. Okay, I'm ready. On Twitter, mute almost everything. <sighs> yeah. And this used to be something you, you could only do in like a third-party client, like TweetBot is the one that I use. You can say, okay, I'm just sick of seeing about Trump or whatever. I just say, okay, Trump, mute. No, I'm, I'm, that word will not come up anymore. But you can actually just do it on uh, like an official Twitter now too if you're, if you're like that and you just use the real Twitter app. Um, and so, Do you I, use the real Twitter app? I occasionally use it a little bit for certain things. Um, hmm the notifications for certain things when I'm trying to see like, Oh, we post an episode of fun fact and to get some retweets or whatever, or a blog post or something. The way that notifications come in, in the, in the other apps don't get clumped yeah. together. So it's just because like they broke it, but yes. yeah, Twitter has made the experience for certain things or uh, direct messages. Like Twitter is slowly breaking the third party clients. So they really are. eventually yeah. we're probably all just going to use the real Twitter app. But um, do you oh, have any, God. do you have any things that you've muted? Uh, on the real Twitter app, you mean, or on or the on or the, on the Twitter app that you use? Uh, in both cases, yes, yes, I have. Yeah. Would you be willing to share some of those <laughs> on on the well, air? Let me take a look. <laughs> let me take a look. We can we can I... censor some of them, but I think it could be an interesting exercise to share some examples. Not that we're encouraging people to mute these same keywords or phrases but to just give a sense of the some of the things that you too could mute and then no longer have to see okay so i will say that at the moment uh i don't have any keywords muted oh okay but i will say this i used to have so uh at one point i had a ton of keywords muted because i was um trying to find a way to use twitter without using political twitter right uh, and, uh, it, the best way to do that was to just like, I just needed a break right? sure. and I just muted every possible political related word I could think of and just tried to rebuild the, the Twitter that, that I had loved. It didn't work for a variety of reasons. And it got, it got so unwieldy that you just re used unmuted at all. At some point. Yeah. I was just like, this isn't, this isn't the way. Are you curious? Oh, but w- w- one more thing before you tell me, I am very curious. But I will say what I have done a lot of lately is turn off the ability for me to see to automatically see other people's retweets. Right. Like you you go to follow someone and then you follow them and turn off retweets right away. Yes, because I've determined that I want control of what I see. I don't want other people to have control of what I see. So I've chosen to follow Alan, but I don't I haven't chosen to follow everyone Alan follows and cares about. Or at least whoever Alan thinks that you should care about, even though it's about right. like, the inner workings of Vancouver City Council debate. Right, exactly. And so it's like, I, I care about you and I care about what you're saying and I'm interested in your tech writing and stuff, but I don't care about the Vancouver City Council. Maybe I do because that sounds interesting, but I maybe <laughs> I don't. 
And and then I'm like, you know, I really just don't want to see this. And I just don't want in any way, like I just, in most areas of my life, I've tried to make it so that other people have less control of what I see. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. But yeah, tell me all about your story. I'm, I'm fascinated. Yeah, I don't know if it's a story. It's more just like a, like a grab bag uh, of, of treats, of just things that over... And like to me, it's also kind of fun and unexpected looking through because most of these things i forgot that i even muted them uh, and they just accumulate over years um, well, that's fun but they're all pretty fun so one is i uh, don't know if you can do this on the official twitter app you probably can't but in tweetbot you can mute patterns um and so Ooh. i've muted any tweet that has three or more at symbols in it really yeah so if someone's like that's the point of the conversation you don't want to be yeah in. when it's like someone trying to get attention like at u.s airlines at the ftc at you know <laughs> just someone angry and you know uh yeah so i i have that muted i also have okay. more than one hashtag if there's more than one hashtag in the tweet interesting okay it will okay. not show up very very opinionated if, some, if someone has a single hashtag then maybe they're being helpful they're helping you categorize they're mm-hmm. trying to make you know aid uh be part of a dis- uh, discussion but when there's mm-hmm. multiple hashtags, then... You feel like it's promotion. Yeah, they're trying to get attention and probably are less having something to say. So, uh, All right. Uh, LRT with a little up arrow. What is LRT with the this up is arrow? A, so, th- so people will use this style. They will say make a retweet, and then they'll use the pattern up arrow, like a c- carrot, not carrot, but yeah, um, an up arrow. Yeah, and then type LRT in all caps to mean last retweet, and the idea is that that little up arrow points at the retweet. So they want you to look. They want you to go to their timeline and look at the last retweet. Well, you you're presumably looking at the retweet because like they'll retweet it and they'll type arrow LRT. I can't believe this person blah 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 blah. Or LRT. What? This is a really great job offer. You look, should look into it. Like they're adding commentary to the retweet that they just made. Yeah, and and I blocked that for two reasons. One is because there's an actual official way you can do that now, so just okay. like other times. And the other is because I often turn off retweets like you, so I see people <laughs> just say out of an hour, LRT, this is horrible. I can't believe it. Yeah, and I'm like, I don't see what you're talking about. Yeah, that sounds like a smart play. And then I have categories different. I could probably categorize this list into just like when you're thinking about what things could you mute on Twitter if you're just sick of seeing uh, entire domains. You can do so like buzzfeed.com just mute anything for buzzfeed i don't need to see it uh four square <laughs> wait hold on wait wait you, you mute anyone who links to buzzfeed well i only mute the posts that, that that themselves link to buzzfeed i don't mute the people okay yeah, yeah but you mute any post that links to buzzfeed yeah obviously okay all right okay okay uh, i'm just trying to make sure i understand all this yo keep going uh instagram.com same thing you mute anyone who links to Instagram? No, I only mute their posts. That no, I'm sorry. You mute any post that links to Instagram? Yeah, just people. Con- uh, okay, this is a whole side thing. But like. <laughs> I like seeing people's Instagram sometimes. Yeah, I also sometimes like seeing people's Instagram. The problem is okay. that the proportion of people who just auto post everything from Instagram to Twitter. Oh, you don't like the auto repost because you're like, I'll just see it where you posted it yeah. if I want to see I'm it. I'm seeing the same thing on Instagram. Sometimes I go into Facebook right. and see it there. I see it on Twitter and it's just right. like, there's a sunset and I see the same sunset. It's like, 
It's a pretty good sunset. Like you don't follow that many people though. Like how big of a problem is this really? It's enough of a problem that I'm like, hey, it would be slightly better if I didn't see these. <laughs> and it's just one click. It's like, bye. Fair, fair enough. I don't know why I'm judging you. I maybe just because you know the, for the podcast, but. I find it all very no. Funny. You should yeah. you should judge me. I'm being I'm yeah. being very. <laughs> these are also permanent too. So like it's not like I've om- I'm only now after however many years that's been, it's been muted for years uh, that I'm yeah. now seeing um, these. I, I've muted various uh, domains uh, and and pa- patterns that okay. indicate We're, someone yeah. is telling me that their podcast is now recording live. Does that <laughs> make sense? <laughs> um, yeah. No, no, yeah. and it's great that and like they totally should do that hey i'm recording yeah. live now if you want to listen but i am yeah always at work and i'm not going to listen right now i mm. i have yeah. before so it just makes you sad it makes me either sad or just like i just this, i'm not freaking action act on this information um it's not actionable it's not actionable to me and uh yeah. I, you know i'm glad you're doing it and uh, i'm glad i'm and i'm not the kind of person who's gonna send um actually you should stop saying that because you're like polluting my feed just like i just only want to find out about when it's like no it's my problem i can mute just that and then it's done so my various uh of those um okay and so so my my point of this is not that you should mute those things but uh there are uh, <laughs> i think you're can. telling us exactly how to live our lives and it's rude and no you one can wants live your life how you want but if there's a type of domain that you're sick of seeing or even just like uh oh, people always post links to the washington post but it has a paywall then just like mutewashingtonpost.com and just won't see it that's a great uh, yeah that is a great point i have instagram and facebook blocked with little snitch as we discussed i think last time and so now i'm in the position where people will put their instagram thing uh on twitter but then i want to like click on it and maybe i don't know it's instagram and then it'll open in the browser but the browser will say no you can't load this right (laughs) so it's which is not particularly helpful yeah but at least then you get to see it yeah that's true Uh, in the in twitter you mean yeah yeah because i can't see it on instagram but the problem is if they have i guess the only problem really is if they have the the if the comment is longer than a tweet. Sure, sure. And then I want to read it, and I'm like, well... It's teasing great. you then. Yeah, it's taunting me with its uh, inaccessibility. But I did that to myself. The best so ramen I I've ever had in the world is located at dot, dot, dot. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'll have to never learn about that ever. Mute filter category two. Yeah. Sports. Oh, what? Uh, you can't mute sports overall. And I like some sports, and I don't have really a thing against sports that some people really just kind of get angry about having to see anything about sports. But mm-hmm. I have many people that I quite like, their tweets overall, that are very into a particular sport or a certain aspect of a sport or a certain player of a sport. Um, and so, but it, it doesn't it doesn't help to be like, just mute, like, okay, just mute MLB. Like, it doesn't twitter doesn't know that these things are all about that um but i can mute like a particular player or a particular team or like i have mutes for various uh teams like i I don't even know why i have the eagles and the giants muted <laughs> uh a rod just like okay uh i think i muted yeah i muted ichiro like and actually this is kind of a little shame, shame because i find ichiro kind of fascinating and even though i don't follow baseball and like there's interesting stories about him but it was just too high too many ichiro tweets per day in my feed from various people and there would just be a tweet that just says ichiro exclamation mark because i assume you're watching the game i am and i just yeah yeah i'm a little offended as a person from seattle that you muted ichiro but um i'll try to you know let it go does it make you feel any better that i muted it like years ago 
No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, he played his whole career in Seattle, I know, I so know. no. But it's not like or a, not his whole career, like but most loot. of it. Um, it's not fresh, no. no. It's, it's uh, an old wound that I'm only learning about now. Yeah, and that, that, that's kind of to demonstrate that uh, it's not even... It's not even that you need to mute something because you resent that thing. Like, I have great respect for his sporting achievements uh, and, <laughs> and, and records and the story of the guy and, you know, uh-huh. it's, you know, very long career. There's lots of, lots, you know, lots of good to be had there. I just don't need tweets that simply say Ichiro exclamation mark in my timeline when I'm not watching that game. Fair enough. Um, so, but, you know, again, apply to your, so like maybe you would tweet, you would mute hockey things. Maybe you would mute people saying uh, no, the I, I, or whatever. I'm actually currently muted the St. Louis Blues. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, because they follow me and I don't want to unfollow them. Sure, sure. Uh, I don't know why, but I'm like, that's really sweet that they follow me. Yeah, and you don't want to, <laughs> you don't want to offend them. Be the jerk who, un- like, they're going to look. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, we follow this one guy and he doesn't follow us back. But, you know. Tweets to mute category three. Okay. TV shows you do not watch. That makes sense. Yeah, I just, I mean... Actually, I don't know if it's even on anymore, but there was a time where like every other tweet was about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It is still on. It is still on? Yeah. Well, I wouldn't know because I, I <laughs> muted Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. like when it was in his first series and then people are just like, I can't wait for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., blah, 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 blah. And it's like, I maybe will eventually watch this, but I'm not right now. I don't need to see it. Yeah. Um, so if you are sick of seeing shows that you or, or games, like I have uh, PUBG muted, Player Unknown's Battleground, very oh, yeah, okay. popular video game sure. that I sort of looked at and i'm like i'm probably not going to play this uh particular game there's enough similar games that would appeal to me more and people are talking about it too much and it needs to stop sure um and then and then there's just like a kind of a grab at oh lots of conferences lots of conferences you mute conferences because you're not there yeah because i'm not there i and honestly if i'm there i'm pr- probably not reading twitter um but you know they're mostly conferences that i am not conferences that i am not at so like south by southwest is muted sure yeah yeah um but like even the ones that like i don't have anything against but i'm just just people are know. tweeting I feel like you're and like some of these don't even know what they are <laughs> conferences <laughs> hashtag uh, open viz conf there's an open visualization conf at some point and someone was tweeting a lot from it i don't even know who i don't even know when but just got permanently muted i think you're making a good point that you, you can you know, you can love someone, you can love following them on Twitter, but you don't have to love all of their content. And it's completely okay for you to hide the stuff you don't care about. Yeah. yeah. And it's, and it's a really like, I like the mental model that it is everybody's own problem that they, you follow and you consume, you have to, you have to take some ownership of what you consume and not just say, oh, I'm getting exposed to this garbage. I am just going to be resentful of it or, uh just you know be annoyed at the people who are posting it um you know and unfollow the person if you can't manage it but often you can like and of course the like it's a grab bag of stuff like bitcoin kavanaugh trump <laughs> like just things that obviously no one wants to you to have hear. trump muted well not him not him personally no the name the name yeah obviously that's I, or like yeah the, that's yeah nice. like stuff that's that nice. i do actively that improves your life do you have trudeau muted no, I'm fine. If someone's talking about Trudeau, that's like maybe relevant to me. Bad things happening right now, my man. There's stuff happening with Canadian. Maybe that'll be a fun fact once we know a little more about it. Yeah. Um, there's actually, there's a little bit of Canada politics drama going on, but, um, but yeah, so I, I encourage people. And then there's also just stuff that like, I have literally no, like I have no opinions about, 
but I just when someone's talking about it, I never care. Mm. Like the word workout. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm glad you're working out. <laughs> I just don't want to know. Uh, but what if they say something like, "I'm so happy that uh, Swift is workout." No, that doesn't work. No, it doesn't. It would work. be working out, which work. is no different. Uh, and then, then contrast to that to CrossFit, which I actively do not want to hear about. <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. Cro- workouts in general. Yeah. CrossFit. No, but whatever. It's like Bitcoin. You just mute it. And then there's lots of people that I know that I like that are into Bitcoin and CrossFit and these other things. And I just don't need to, I need to see it. So anyway, long fact, but made short, uh, consider muting things that, uh, that don't make, make you happy. Do some comrie on your, uh, on your timeline. That's all of it. That's going to make the show. Just that last sentence. You know, sometimes you just need to go on the long journey to get where you're going to go. And then we just, <laughs> yeah, we can just actually probably just do a like eight minute edit. Cut the, cut the rest. <laughs> I think that'd be good. Uh, so uh, I am going to once again take a turn down a different road here for you, my friend. You don't have any mute, <laughs> any <laughs> mute keyword related facts. Come on. You got to have a back catalog to work with. <laughs> Mute. What? What we'll other mute catalog related fun facts would there be? I think we could come up with something. You know, you could tell us about. I don't know. Yeah, the history of the mute. Yeah, mute. <laughs> well, mute math. I'm not going to. So, uh, fun fact: the bird that I believe you and I would both call a turkey is actually named because of the country of Turkey. What? Yeah, I. Super would not expect that. Yeah, right? Like, it's never that way. It's always the other way. Yeah. So uh, so, so, some background information. It is important to note that the bird that we call a turkey is native to North America. And they were first domesticated in ancient Mexico. Now, there are two main theories to explain the etymology of the word turkey, but they both uh, involve the same ultimate story of my fact. They just, it's slightly different how they get there. So the first one is that in the 1500s, when the bird first arrived in England, it was shipped in by merchants who were mostly from Constantinople, which is now called Istanbul, who brought the birds from America. And because Constantinople was part of the Ottoman Turkish Empire, the people of England called it a turkey cock. And at that point in the history, interesting sub-fun fact, basically anything that came from east of England was referred to as turkey. Sure. So Mm -hmm. Persian carpets were turkey rugs. Indian flour was turkey flour. French fries, turkey fries. Yeah. Hungarian carpet bags were turkey bags. Sure. So, and then eventually the the bird, so the bird got called the turkey cock and then later it got shortened to turkey. Now, huh. the, the other explanation, uh, which I tend to subscribe more to myself, is that uh, before Columbus came to America, there was already a bird in Europe that was somewhat similar visually to the turkey. And it came to Europe from Guinea in West Africa. And it's called a guinea fowl. And it was imported to Europe by Turkish merchants. And it was eaten in London. And for that reason, got called a turkey cock, right? And then when the British came to Massachusetts and they saw their first American woodland fowl, which is larger than the African guinea, but sort of similar in appearance, they just used the same name that they were used to, which is turkey. Huh. Now, uh, turkey, of course, now the, the bird that we know is eaten all over the world. Right. So let me ask you a question. What do you think a turkey is called in Turkey? (laughs) Uh, In America. That would be so great, wouldn't it be? That would be good. (laughs) It's not. It's called Hindi, 
which is a reference to <laughs> India. Okay. Supposedly because Columbus thought he had discovered a route to the Indies when he came to America. I feel like this system needs patching. <laughs> it's actually mostly called, referred to as India-related words in most countries. This bird that is from America. Yeah. In all the Arabian countries, it's referred to as an Indian rooster. In French, it's referred to as from India. In Russia, uh, it's referred to as bird of India. It's Indic in Poland, Hindi in Turkey. And yeah, so... Yeah, although in Portuguese, it's referred to as a Peru. Oh my god, turkey. I never, ever made the etymology of the turkey in French. Because you said it's like from India. And I'm like, yeah. really? I just that, I guess I would have... I never knew that. But then I type french word for turkey and i see dand like d-i-n-d-e without the apostrophe like of india and i'm like (laughs) i just in my mind like i mean besides like knowing some amount of french you also anytime you look at a package of turkey you see dand like like, (laughs) yeah right i've seen it a million times it just (laughs) never would have occurred to me that that came from of india even though it's right there in the word huh from india (laughs) from india but i like the even the third one is just calling it Peru. Like, I don't know why. Like, <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. what the hell? What's this bird? <laughs> like, I definitely think from India is better than just calling it India. Like, yes, I agree. Um, yeah. or, or Turkey. Or Turkey. Like, yeah. It's confusing. Uh, not quite right. Yeah. Uh, I, too, have an unexpected bird naming fact. What, what the, you're just trying to show me up now because you're like, <laughs> look, I can do the thing where... <laughs> where i have the related fact no i just prepared <laughs> enough facts uh a duck is called the duck because it ducks under the water that's lovely yeah <laughs> that is lovely no, that's so great you can use that fact now yeah that is awesome uh, uh...